ain't got to do shit, but stay black and die. Nah, um, I, welcome to What Would It Look Like? This is a podcast, a Black liberation podcast, where we explore what visioning liberation for Black people means to us and for the world, Craig, the world. Um, my name okay. is Ebony Isis Booth, and I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Jonas. Um, we have been at this for a couple of weeks, y'all. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome, Jonas. Uh, and. Yeah. This morning, when we came into recording, I don't know, it was, I was in a different mood. I, I'm, I'm tired. I've been exhausted. Um, I want to say thank you to the folks for listening, those of you who listen and download and um, show up on our analytics. But this morning, we came into a conversation where I was like, let's, <laughs> let's check in. How the hell are you? How are things going? And that started a conversation that is like taking shape in a way that I think is more, um, authentic and central to Jonas and I's relationship as friends and co-conspirators when we talk about the work of getting and staying free as Black people in this world. And so, um, yeah, we are kind of switching gears from like heavy, hard research of reparations and contextualizing Israel as a failed liberation uh, reparations package and, you know, outlining the language of liberation and what that means and Today, we are taking a beat to check in to see how this work has been impacting us individually and what a way forward might look like. Um, and perhaps we'll also talk about decolonization and how that's showing up for us as well. But that's what you're going to get today. And I hope you stick around. Jonas, say something to the people. Uh, yeah, well, we had a great conversation about we got to make this a lot like the nature of the conversations that we have offline that are just free flowing and I genuinely believe are really productive without any labor. It's just very natural. We just talk about subjects and we bring forth all of the research and reading that we do in our regular lives, not extracurricular reading and research. And I think that we apply and also something that was interesting that you you said was maintaining the coach approach and continue to talk about this in terms of how this affects us individually and how we can take care of ourselves and not let this mm. work or this research or anything suck the joy out of us, which yeah. I would say um, is, is very easy to happen in a in this world of a variety of joy sucking entities all happening at once not of course limited to social <laughs> media trying to steal our joy yeah so yeah, we don't man. we shouldn't also be arbiters of said joy sucking you know and that i think that it just means free flowing conversations obviously with the topic of colonization and decolonization uh i think it is a it is an increasingly more discussed term. I'm seeing decolonization. It's obviously in relation to Israel, obviously in relation to the world at large. Well, hold up, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait, let me. I, we might get to cap to decolonization, but let's back up to go back mm -hmm. to the like the individual impact of mm -hmm. this work. Mm -hmm. um, what 
how has how has this project impacted you personally and individually so far? What's the impact of this work been on you? Well, I would say I, I there's a lot of good parts too. I'm not gonna make it sound like it has been a joy sucking endeavor. No, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. It doesn't have to be bad. It wasn't, I'm just, just thinking like no. I would say the yeah. uh, overall, I, the number of the things that I really enjoy uh, are the sort of scholastic partnership, the scholastic uh, jousting, just having a, a a friend in intellectual endeavors specifically. I don't necessarily know. I get a lot of that in it's my like regular we, life. It's like we I, radicalized mm. the scholastic book fair from elementary school. Right. And it's like it we were the AF. radicals. Yeah, we we're the radicals <laughs> at the Scholastic Book Fair. Look, skir- searching through all the kids' books like, how come there's no James Baldwin here? I see goosebumps. I don't see James Baldwin. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I used to Kwame Nkrumah. You know what I mean? Third grade. This is racist. Speaking of racist, Giorgio, my white male dog, Giorgio Michael, has already entered the fray. He's like, I've been hated this shit George from jump. Michael. <laughs> I've been hated this whole endeavor George from o- jump. He's like, I'll be trying to get my shots off from down here. Georgia yeah. Michael weighs like seven pounds and really is, he has a Karen haircut and everything. So, But he's a big man. Though. You know. He's a big man. He He's seven pounds. Yeah. He's a big man out here, bro. You should see him right now standing at the window, <laughs> growling at passersby. This is not a life. <laughs> This is not a life, Giorgio Michael, but he need a walk. So it's it's God. all good. Uh, I mean, I would say for the yeah. most part, it's been really rewarding. I would say that um, obviously there can be elements that are draining and we just need, and last week, certainly I felt the, I just think that when you have a lot of other shit going on at the same time, it's really hard to, you can't make this something else. This has got to be a release. This has almost got to be, to me, something that's like, because I feel like we're researching all day naturally, whether it be social media or re- like my natural inclination is to go read up on this stuff. So I'm I'm filling myself already with a ton of information that I kind of need to let out and talk about in a more free-flowing way. Yeah. So I, I would say that yeah. it's good. It's just like, how do we capture this energy and not let it do that thing it be doing to people who want to do this work? Yeah. For burnout. real. I um, Burnout. You know, burnout is one of the number one causes of, you know, disenfranchisement of activists. Um, mm-hmm. We... You know, and the system is built to do that, to burn us out, right? Um, Intellectually, mentally, spiritually, like the exhaustion, the extractive labor, all that stuff is baked into the cake of um, of society, right? And the world, really. It's day-to-day life. Yeah, day-to-day life. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that it's, you know, for me, the impact, I, you know, it's like, I am tired in a way right now. Where I'm like, this, you know, you took, spoke about it as a release and I see it as kind of like a a, a filling, you know, like mm-hmm. a cup filling. Um, mm-hmm. So to come to a filling station and be replenished by having conversations with, um, you know, with a comrade or someone who I can just 
talk to and listen to and learn from and be engaged with where I don't feel like I'm having to do so much work. And there's this thing that crept up um, in, you know, in me that felt like I needed to build a case mm-hmm. and support any claim that I was making or build a, um, create a sound argument before I was able to speak about what I was feeling or thinking about these very big issues that we've been unpacking. Additionally, like what's just happening in the world right now, you know, the consecutive um, or I don't know, the simultaneous genocides that are taking place um, on the, on the, yeah, on the continent of Africa, in the Middle East, in in Gaza, um, in the West Bank, like in Congo, um, in Sudan, like, I don't know, you could just list them, right? So all that stuff that's happening is taking place in the world is, I don't know, I like, I feel it in my body and am constantly being inundated with information about it that I don't necessarily intellectually have the, I don't have, not necessarily, I do not have the capacity to tease out and just sit with those feelings and also make a case for black liberation and also do my job and also make sure right. I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. brushing my teeth and eating three squares and, you know, walking my dog and taking care of the things that need to happen in my life. It's a tall order. And I think sometimes we get burdened by this feeling that we are responsible for changing the world. And I, James Baldwin said something in this clip that I was just watching about, like, you don't, you don't change the world. You inspire other people by giving them the the inspiration and the will to change themselves. And then that changes the world. So really like that whole idea of each one teach one or, you know, revolution starts with you or whatever is something that I feel like I'm being called back to where I'm like, I need to go lay down. I need right. to not read a dense book on socialist economies today um, right. <laughs> or this week. Right. right. <laughs> Right. I need to watch. My therapist told me to watch the Friendship is Magic episode of My Little Pony, um, <laughs> the animated series. Yo, listen, let me did tell you? you something. Did you? I, I did. I did. I sat my behind and ate ice cream and uh-huh. watched My Little Pony. And the episode was so trill because it was literally this very brilliant pony in her research, her constant research and study is like the hand to the princess pony. And Mm. she discovers that like, there's some, some doom and gloom is about to pop off and the whole pony countryside is at risk. And she tells the princess like, yo, jig is up. What are you going to do about it? And the princess sends her on this quest to make provisions in preparation for this event that's going to happen. And it's interesting because she keeps being frustrated by these invitations to be in community with the people that she meets on her quest because she wants to get to the library to study more about this disastrous thing that's going to take place. She wants to stop it, but nobody will listen to her because they just want to be friends. And ultimately she forms community and together they are able to defeat the dreadful um, uh, moon pony evil lady and you know, they're celebrated and yeah they they solve it but the it, 
she can't do it by herself. Every time she sends the friends away, she fails. She needs the community in order to be able to achieve it. So it was actually like really healing, <laughs> which is why I rock with my therapist the way that I do. Um, shout out to Black women um, who are therapists and mental health practitioners. But it was really helpful. And it it showed me that I needed to like chill out on the research and feeling like I was going to solve the you conversation for Black Liberation or needed to be that pony. I was being that pony. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, I didn't, so I didn't do any, any more research for this week's episode. Like mm -hmm. I've been, I've have a lot of stuff in my brain and in my spirit that I know I'm good. Like what, <laughs> whatever comes up is the conversation that we're having um, based off how these things individually impact us and not, you know, based off some research that I've done. Well, yeah, I think that's what we're talking about here. So, is that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about how what we think on these subjects as we are. And maybe there's something some, somewhat disingenuous about like, I got a pun intended pony up on a bunch of research. And before I do this episode, <laughs> <laughs> dum -dum -dum right. but, uh, because yeah. it's, it's in us. It's not something we got to put on. It's, it's something that's within us. And I think also, too, is it's like we naturally sort of do that, like what we naturally read, what we naturally concern ourselves. But I, another thing that I was thinking about that you were saying is like we kind of live. Obviously, time is a flat circle, but it's also always changing. So simultaneously, these are the same atrocities that happen time and time again. But there's an, an exposure that we have to it that is relatively new. There's an ex like the concerns in Gaza have been, you know, a concern for what, 75 years or something now. But I don't know that it's mm -hmm. ever felt so omnipresent. And I think that yeah. that's a different trauma. But that's I think not that's accidental. a different No. And that's another thing too is that there's that other layer of of whatever techno overlords are attempting programming with social media that and, and, you know, I had this conclusion the other day that Twitter is almost specifically designed for polarization. It's specifically yeah. designed as a divide and conquer tool. Especially because, now, like, I mean, especially yeah, now, and you have, Elon you Musk have actual, yeah. yeah, I mean, like you have bots that are being like operationalized to, to, to disperse and create dissent inside threads you know what i mean like inside posts like it's, it's yeah it's not accidental i think that what we see is what we are permitted to see i know we can't forget that you know what i mean mm -hmm. so um these the fix is in shout out to right. lenny trinella rest in peace because we were talking um, about that too like organic growth it's kind of a thing of the past, you know, like I think we, there was a golden age of social media that doesn't exist anymore. It's tamped down. Like there was a golden age of piracy, mm -hmm. you know, it was like this what free was flowing the, what time. What was the golden age of social media? Was it like, was it LimeWire and MySpace and Black Planet was the golden age? Or Do even so? Twitter initially. When was it? Early Twitter. Like when Twitter first came out, the first like few years of Twitter. 2011. 2009 to 2000. Yeah. I give it five years. I give it a five year golden period. After 2014, I yeah, would say. I got off Twitter. 
I got off Twitter in 2014. The I was like, I can't do this. Um, mm-hmm. No more. Twitter broke my heart. And then I was like, all right, I'm, I can't do this. It's, I've never been made to feel, I've got, what does they call it? Um, dragged on Twitter. Like I had a, a thread that like, I don't know, the bunch of meanies came out of nowhere and like started going in on me from like a post that I made about black Barbie dolls. I don't even know what it was. What? What, what was this? I, yeah, what? I got dragged on Twitter in 2014. And By it randoms, was devastating. Not, not people, randoms. randoms. Like it went I viral, like these, almost virality. It was several hundreds. I wouldn't say, I don't even know that we were using the language viral at the time, but it was enough to like take, consume. It took me down for like three days of my life where I was like, why do all these people hate me? Like, did I, like, I didn't, why are they being so mean? Like, was, what type of shit like, were they saying? What? They were just, I had said something about black. There was some, it was around the holidays. It was some post around, like there were images about black Barbie dolls that were like culturally specific in the way that they were dressed. And I had made a comment about black. I think it was like black, black dads were the ones who got upset or maybe they didn't have, have kids. I made a comment about little black girls and their fathers and, and, Black Barbie dolls or something to that extent. I really don't remember what I said. I literally de- deleted my Twitter account behind it, but they went and like went in on my, um, my avatar photo and just like, I don't know, just, you know, it was insulted a pylon of like, looks? yeah, they insulted my looks behind my comment, basically saying that like, I had no reason to speak. It was like, I don't it just, it was as insane as it sounds, it was, or as insane as it be when like randomly Twitter decides to like attack someone, it wasn't even like, they just, they attacked me. And for like wow. three days, it was like, people kept retweeting, retweeting um, with another joke or another comment. And I was just like, damn, this is nuts. And I just like watched it happen. Like, wow, y'all are really upset about that. On, I didn't like argue back in the thread or anything. Cause like, I'm not that that's not my thing. I didn't like mm-hmm. lock my account and go private or like change my avatar. I didn't you do any of those things. I just kind of like let it, I let it play out, but it, it hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? Like yeah. my feelings mm-hmm. were legit hurt. I was like, I really did nothing to deserve this. And that's wild that whatever I said touched a chord that like, this was, was like there a, a contingent. Was there a demographic? Was it a specific demographic? You it was mostly like black, black men. men. It was, it was, so you it was offended, mostly black men. You offended black men as, black a, as men. a contingent. I hmm. offended, yeah, I offended black men as it relates to, um, I don't know. It had something, it was a tie, somewhere between these black Barbie dolls, something I said about daughters and Christmas gifts. And these dudes did not like it. Early proto manosphere <laughs> came after you, the proto manosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I've never, I've like, never been okay. the star of Twitter for a day. I've never, that's the star of Twitter. You were the star I of Twitter have. for a day. It was, it's not dope. I mean, it was not, it it's was not, not lit. Let me tell you. Damn. So like, even with this whole thing about like virality now, like going viral terrifies me. I don't, I don't, not terrifies me. I just don't want to deal with that. Like I'm, I'm, I have introverted tendencies as a personality. Like I'm a very like private person. As you should be. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think we all should be right, and mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I value disc- I value discretion and discernment mm-hmm. is just as like do I who I mm-hmm. am as a person. So the idea of like sometimes I get overwhelmed when there's like I don't like looking at my phone and seeing the red number on my text thread be on like higher than like four. Mm. I don't like to feel like there's that many people. I try to keep my my numbers down so I feel like I'm functioning within my capacity. I get very nervous when I look at my phone and see a bunch of red numbers that I'm like, there are people in my phone who are, who want my attention for some reason on Instagram. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to see a bunch of comments under a post. Cause I'm like, am I supposed to respond to all those? Like I'll go mm-hmm. through and tap double tap, d- double tap to like things back for, you know, just so that people know like, oh, that's really nice that you said something, but I don't be trying to engage in conversations and, you know, generate. And I hate being, if I, let me tell you something, if I slide into your DMs with an invitation um, and you, you and I are not friends, like I was doing this marketing thing for a coach, a group coaching program that I was doing. It's bigger than bath bombs where I was literally just so I would send a voice note to certain black women who follow me, who've engaged with my posts or whatever that I was inviting to come to the course. Mm-hmm. That was not on some like, here's your six figure marketing strategy. It was like, no, hey girl, like there's this thing that I'm doing that exists off Instagram that I would like for you to attend. You should probably get off Instagram and come do it. I don't like engaging with people inside these social media apps in a way that because it's not real. I don't it's want to real. do that. I don't want to do no. it on my phone and I don't, or my t- text. No, it's not, it's not a real place. Social media well, is not a real place. that's what I was place. saying. It's, it's like, just, it breeds something out of maybe people. Maybe necessary they, evil. They behave a certain way that they don't actually behave. They conduct themselves in a way that they are not, you know? And it's like a different personality, yeah. your social media personality. So when you're engaging with people on social media, a lot of times it's, it's like wrestling. It's like their persona. It's it, and and then mm-hmm. they have also that plausible deniability of saying, "You hear this? You gotta go." Excuse me. Georgia Michael is like, "I am a, I am a viral TikTok celebrity waiting to happen." Put I'm me waiting on to camera. Happen. What are y'all doing talking? Put me on camera. Hold up. <laughs> you gotta go. Georgia bro. Michael is I'm like, sorry. "You got You're. I'm a star in the making. I'm sorry. I apologize. You have no decorum. And he's like, if you thought, no, dang, Georgia Michael be getting kicked out the club. And then he wanted to give me the puppy dog eyes. He hurt now. Oh, he hurt. Oh, yeah, his like, feelings what? were hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Just I like think, a Karen. Um, I know, right? I think the, the, but anyway, like I was saying, like the plausible deniability of, oh, that's just social media. Oh, I just like, like, even in that situation you described, all these men got on there and, and basically uses this dumping ground for like this is the appropriate place to gang up on people to bully people to be mean and that's what i was saying about breeding and and that's also like they're just but they're also in their mind i think there's a certain level of social media or from twitter back then where it was like we were just you know like in philly they call it bidden or like you know we was just joshing jones in playing the dozens whatever where that's Mm. like a that's a thing that black men do like right i mean black people but in my experience like when a group of dudes get together and have a a mutual disdain around a topic and want to play the one-ups it's like you get caught up being like it's like they decide that you're going to be the the basketball in their game of 21 
Mm-hmm. And that that's just a thing that happens. I think what social media has done is now given everybody their free reign to to jump in. You know what I mean? Like everybody now it's like everybody can play. Everybody got, you know. So I, I what I experienced in 2014 I think was like it reminded me more of like childhood socialization of what it was like to be a kid. Mm-hmm. It felt like that kind of immaturity and then something happened where it turned and then we had to learn this new way of socialization where it wasn't just about like boys being mean and teasing you because they like you or they just or they don't like you or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I don't know. It's it's you got people's money is tied to it, their identities, it's affecting folks' mental health. The suicide rate for among teenagers is like increased self-worth images marketing sex bots like what is i don't know i I feel like i sound like a boomer but i well (laughs) i'm an elder millennial who is like this is some bullshit well i think maybe it, it stopped being social media and started being sociopathic media because it really does bring out the sociopath in everybody also in the in the quest for engagement and what it brings mm-hmm. out of you, because I think people, it's, it's for some reason, it'll make people without these ambitions of fame, all of a sudden be concerned with engagement. Like you'll see, like you said, so many people complaining, this post didn't do as well as this post. And it's like, none of this is real. But even if it is, like you said, some people make careers out of this. Some people make careers. And like Twitter now has become something that is, you can get paid for viral tweets. You know, Elon Musk sort of monetized viral tweets and the pay system and all this other stuff. So now there's this other That's level wild. of like, yeah, like I seen the other day, this lady was like, claimed she slept with Bow Wow. And it was good or bad okay. or whatever. And then a couple of tweets Girl, later, it was like, well, a couple of tweets later, it was like, I need a viral tweet to make some money. So she's just like openly lying about what you know in order just to get some bread so now you have this whole other element of now it's really breeding the savagery for financial gain it's not just savagery for its its own pleasures so that's a whole other layer of of malfeasance and that's what like like what you were saying about like this maybe being rooted in actual social customs but then you put on top of it these sort of capitalistic concerns but also this interconnectedness with the world or perceived interconnectedness and it's it's like that same social behavior mutated and filled pumped with radiation and turned into a monster so the dozens meets radiation is a black twitter pilot and it's 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 interesting because i think there's a lot of what when you talk about the actual social costs like the, the depression the sadness the teen suicide so on and so forth it's almost like asking humans to be successful at being inhumane what will that breed other than a dissolution wow. of humanity i I've, I've i've gone down a lot of I rabbit mean, holes isn't because that you really know the ask? that's yeah. kind of the i feel like that's really the ask of of capitalism Mm-hmm. I like that. I feel like that's the that's the ask of certainly the ask of like, you know, white supremacy or racism or oppression or, you know, any of these 
these isms and schisms that we strategize and rail against to ask people to be complicit or to participate in the dehumanization of the person that's lowest next to them on the strata, you know, dehumanizing everybody. I think Um, it's dehumanizing everybody. Yeah. It's not even dehumanizing people lower than you. I mean, even yourself. Yeah. To some degree, even yourself, when you think about like, you know, the filters, the, you know, the, the, the invitation to basically sell yourself. Like there's something I, okay. So I've been watching it and I'm thinking about this now because I'm not, I haven't been on social media like that in the sense of like posting selfies or like I know recording videos of myself and uploading and creating content. Like it's tiring. Um, yeah. But, and I, but it's also liberating like to, to not be doing it. Right. To, right. But I'm yeah. also able to like, I think about if I watch somebody, a content creator, okay. Like no, no diss to your, to your work. The people who have like used their creative um, capabilities to invent a market and a lane for themselves to eke out a living. It is a very delicate and fragile living because it's still dependent on these algorithms um, and invisible powers that be that will Mm -hmm. determine how successful you can't be. So it's still the hunger games out here for your very delightful, beautifully well-lit, perfectly quaffed soundtrack content you know what i mean like it's still the hunger games for the content creators in these streets however when i'm watch i'm laying in my bed on my phone i have not brushed my teeth yet um (laughs) i rolled over and was like damn it i should not wake when i go to bed at night i tell myself in the morning when i wake up i'm not gonna check my phone first it's not what i'm gonna do i'm not gonna start my morning on instagram but here i am already self-loathing at the fact that I did absolutely the thing that I said I would not do, which is roll over and get on Instagram and scroll and see what's goody in these streets. And I watched (laughs) someone who is in silk pajamas, who's recorded a video of themselves where they like get up out of bed and stretch and make the perfect cup of coffee and sit. And then they're meditating and they're doing that starts to create like a, a model or image of what it's supposed to mean to have a morning routine. Mm-hmm. Or what it's supposed to mean for you to be in the world, and the and the majority of people don't live like that. Don't have that's not a, a a potential reality. And so then you spend all of your time and energy. Like, what does that? How if you are if you do not know yourself, if you care very much what other people think, if you are young and impressionable, you will simply believe that you're somehow failing or you have not reached success until you achieve that kind of morning routine. So then you'll go on Amazon and buy a pair of satin pajamas and a new (laughs) coffee mug and a coffee mug warmer and a ring light and some new sheets and some shit from Timo that you, Timu that you don't need. You will go buy all that and then put it in your house and still be like, damn, but I don't look like her. Well, let me put a filter on. I don't know how to edit that song. I mean, it's just, it never ends. It would literally, it eats your authenticity. It's not real. Like it's not real because you can't record a video of you waking up and tell me that that's your morning routine. I know it's not. Cause first you had to get up and put the ring light up and put the camera in place. That's the gag. And your hair and that's brush your gag. teeth. Out. It's, it's fake. It's like watching, it's, it's like watching television 
it's like watching television as a kid in the eighties and nineties. I some things that I didn't I didn't realize I was I used to be hard on myself about like morning routines. You ever notice how like in sitcoms you never see people wake up and get dressed. They always come downstairs and the eggs are hot. They get up and walk away from a full plate of food sitting at the table when the scene is over. Um, no one ever burns anything. And if they do, like, you know, like, they're, everyone's always, because it's not Perfect, real. Yeah. It's not <laughs> it's real. Fantasy. Yeah. It's fantasy. It's set up in these, and the people who are cast in these roles, their their age, their hair color, their race, their lines, they're all scripted by writers it's not real. It's pretend. And the same thing is happening on social media in a way that I think we're just like getting lost in it and trying to discern what's real from what's being fabricated. And and things like AI and technology and propaganda just continue to blur those lines in a way that I feel is really dangerous. But like that also doesn't stop a bunch of unwashed, unbrushed teeth having meanies on any social media app from attacking you once you are viral you know what i mean, I mean? and will. launching all of their self-loathing directly at you you know what i mean and i just i'm not i'm not here for that that's not why i exist in the world like i you know and this is coming from someone who has taped a morning routine I, so oh, i'm speaking from experience um yeah and not you know but like i've set my camera on the counter and been like this is how i make my coffee in the morning and guess what? That reel did really, or that post did really well when I was using it. But I'm just, as an experiment, I spent a whole year trying to set up my coaching practice as a social media, a marketing strategy for social media to drive traffic through my website for a website launch and then a subsequent group coaching program. I did it um, all by myself. It was very hard. And then I got a virtual assistant to help. So I have drank all the Kool-Aid and done the things and it didn't do anything to make me a better coach. It actually made me frustrated as a business owner. Um, I learned some hard lessons, but I think the answer was always to really just like take care of myself and love myself <laughs> and to continue my study. I and mean, that's what I'm saying. This shit ain't real. This sh the shit ain't real. So it's like, what is real? And that's what I think the disorienting element is, is it really blurs the line between what's real and what's not real, especially when you throw money in the mix and you can profit from this. But I don't know if you remember, did you ever hear about the Instagram lawsuit where a class action lawsuit against Instagram no. about teen suicide? I'm not sure Who where that went. Instagram? It was oh, a class action suit. Do you wow. remember this? Yeah. And it was a class action no. suit. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the solution is, but it was basically... You know, someone or a group of people attributing uh, attributing a lot of um, particular teen issues with, um, you know, depression, body oh. image issues, dysmorphia, all this stuff, and ultimately teen suicide. Oh, yeah, because it was, uh... suing Instagram. You looking it up right now? Yeah, it's um in Illinois, um a sixty eight million dollar Instagram settlement in settlement. DuPage so County. That means, um That's an admission. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, Instagram Illinois Instagram users may be eligible to receive a payout as a part of a sixty eight point five million dollar settlement. Um the suit claimed Instagram owner Meta violated the 
Illinois Biometric Privacy Act, which prohibits companies from collecting and storing biometric information like physical characters that can be used to identify individuals. Um, and then there was one in with Snapchat and Facebook. Google, Snapchat, and Facebook where hundreds of Illinois social media users received payouts. I don't know that it says any, it doesn't say anything about suicide, but it says that I remember the only data. thing that I'm he- saying this is I remember literally hearing it on the radio. Wow. Like, literally, it was like, you know how they'd be doing those class action you might be entitled. You might be entitled right. to a reward. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's that was the extent of it. But I think that there's a lot to be said for the way that this is, like I said, you know, like you tied it to capitalism, late stage capitalism, this is late stage social media. And the response is always something of, hopefully it's, it's like a wholesale rejection. You know, I Mm. think that, that people are starting to come to terms with the fact that organic growth and organic virality and all of the initial advantages of social media just don't exist anymore. And Mm -hmm. so I think like, for instance, I'll give you an example as a musician, as an artist, pretty clear and it's not just me but to all my artist friends that when you try to share your work or your art the algorithm strangles it whether it be flyers mm-hmm. whether that be your music but but if you put a selfie you know what i'm saying or or something mm-hmm. like all of a sudden it gets boosted to where it's like we're all sitting around talking we got to figure something else out because this ain't this ain't it and i think that that's immediately making us talk about organic grassroots community-based interaction personal interaction almost Mm -hmm. revaluing the human connection again, not just as a rejection of social media, but literally as a means of survival. Because if we rely on this mechanism to provide us, because one of the things about like Instagram or, or is they really rely on persistence, consistency, constantly uploading, constantly creating content, and the algorithm rewards you for being perpetual and, and punishes you for being human, for being like, no, I'm off. You know, and, and I yeah. think that there's and, and then there's also the fact that it's democratized advertisement. Now, people, if you really want shit to go, you got to mm-hmm. pay to spread. So just from a business perspective, mm-hmm. why would they allow organic virality? If if you are trying to sell something using their format, why would they do that for free? So it makes sense that they as as part of late. Yeah, stage because capitalism, you're the. Makes sense that they would do it that way. You know, yeah, but you're the, would say. you're the thing that because you are the product, you are the product, your your mm-hmm. account, you, the user with the phone in your hand, you are the product. Mm-hmm. So if they can't make any money off the product that you're selling, why would they? Right. It, right. You know what I mean? Like prop, put, position you in such a way that, you know, you would be successful. Especially if you don't create content frequently enough. 16 million people can't see your shit. That's by design. Like if you have 16 million followers or 15 million yeah. followers, that's more than a Super Bowl ad. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to yeah. just let you have that. Absolutely. You got to pay to utilize this. And no. that was this big change I think that did occur mm-hmm. in like 2015 or 2016. I remember them saying like, um, now if you want full access to your followers, I remember it was Facebook first. If you want full access to your followers or your friend group, you're going to have to pay for it. And that was very explicitly stated you in the these, new you these terms ads. and conditions. Yeah. And even then, yeah. the I ads mean, won't guarantee first. the ads won't guarantee positionality either. That's the other thing too. Is like no, if they did if they worked, it'd be a film They space. make you 
Well, they also make you do the work of indicating where you think the ad should go. And then they go in and scan it to determine whether or not that's correct and still show it to who they want to see it. You know what I mean? So they're still controlling it and kind of trickling it out when you, when you create a Facebook ad. um, And this was years ago. I, I also like, so I got, I think it was 2015, um, mm. which was an, another turning point for social media and what it was doing is a lot of organizations were like, oh yeah, we need a social media presence. So they people started hiring social media managers um, right. or giving employees social media roles inside their marketing or tech roles and things like that. But they did that without really understanding how social media worked and everybody did so with the expectation that they would have posts that went viral, get a lot of followers, um, have a lot of engagement and it's all going to be great. Can you make a post? I don't. And a lot of it was like, you know, at Gen X and, and up leadership, mostly boomers and leadership who were like, so this social media thing, can you do it for us without really right. understanding any part of it? So then to be a social media manager for a small nonprofit organization or for a school or, you know, a small business and trying to explain to leadership how like you not finna go viral. (laughs) Let me explain to you how you're not about to go viral. You will absolutely have to pay for this again. And you need to pay me to create the content that is you, you. It's, it's like, I don't know. There's like this disconnect in, in really explaining how it works. And then people see other folks go viral and they're like, well, can't we just do that? Like, let's record a TikTok dance. Let's just do that. And it's like, this is not how any of this works. It's completely randomized and you have absolutely no control. You have to post on a schedule. The time of day that you post is important. The the amount of text that's in your that's in your, that's allowed in an image, whether or not it's a carousel or a reel, if it's progressive content, how long people stay on the post when you click it, um, whether or not people are commenting, do you comment back in your engagement? Also, what are you selling? How close is the end product that you're selling to something else that say, for instance, is also available to be purchased on Amazon? Um, Is there another corporation that's doing the same thing that is buying larger bundles of ad space? Like, all of those things matter. And when you start explaining that to like your average Joe um, in a marketing meeting, they're like, girl, what? Like, can't you just. You're taking your job as a social media <laughs> you know manager. I mean? They're like, You're well, your then job. what do I have you Absolutely. for? And you're like, I don't know, actually. Exactly. That's what I'm going to tell you. I'm like, this is why I quit. You know what I mean? Well, you know like, what company really had the, the best struggle. social media presence that I always think about is the quintessence of. A company taking advantage of social media is Wendy's. Wendy's became very <laughs> famous. And what were from they Twitter. famous from Twitter? But it's because they were they were bullies. They just literally went around yeah. being mean as fuck. And not just to yeah, other fast food companies, to random people. And so think mm-hmm. about that. You're in the Wendy's boardroom and they're like, these social media numbers are great. How are you doing it? Well, I'm just being really mean. Keep it up. Keep up the I mean, good work. Give, I mean, listen, give that person, whoever was in charge of that brand strategy, I hope that they got a raise on, I hope that they are really doing well for themselves now because it was genius. It was a risk. Um, and it also takes a lot of time. Like I, I stopped doing, getting, I, yeah, I got off the social media job hunt 
or bandwagon. I took that out of my, literally took it off my resume and CV. Like I don't ever want to do social media strategy management again, because it's like, it's a fool's errand. It's not, I don't, I don't have, I don't think anybody is ever paying anyone enough money to do as much how, I don't think they realize how much time, how many hours you have to be engaged on the app in social media constantly in order to amass that kind of, to, to get to a place of virality. Um, it's, it's just, I don't, I, and I don't have it. I don't have the desire to do it. It literally, at one point I was doing it in 2015 and I had to, I told my boss, I was like, what the amount of time that I need to spend on social media right now is actually not good for my mental health because of what is actually, what's also happening. Like that was during the time, like Mike Brown's murder, um, Ferguson riots were happening. And I'm like, all that exists on social media right now is black death and the backlash from that. And you want me to post about like Montessori children's art school classes and you expect that to get traction amid what is happening. And I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't make that happen for you. Like, no, I know. It's just I not know. something that I can That's do as a too. human being. Afro-pessimism, social media totally reinforced Afro-pessimism. That black violence as a necessity for the human psyche was, yeah. it's made clear with social media. It's made clear. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting Absolutely. because I think that, in capitalism, every good idea gets tainted. Every good thing gets, that's the natural progress and process of what capitalism does to human excellence. It takes it, it extrapolates yeah. it, it commodifies it, and, it's, and, it, and it literally puts a lifespan on it that by oh, exploiting it, exploiting it past the point of its so with something like social media, I think one of the things that occurred across the world industrially was like, you have to make things get to critical mass and then monetize it. So you'd have things like MySpace, you'd have things like Facebook, you'd have things like social media, but also musicians, also artists, also every industry was like, we need to do something that will get a ton of attention for free and then somehow find a way to make money out of it. So mm. the implicit nature of doing something that connects with human beings on some level you have to imagine not that not that it's just its own reward but that also the monetization of that would probably happen naturally and if it doesn't no skin off my back but so for a lot of times it's like people have viral tweets viral moments cultural elements and all this other stuff that like expand and get really big and then it's not its own reward. It's not, it's like, well, a million likes can't feed you a million thing. And it's in it. So why are we expecting this thing to feed us? Why can't we just do this for the nature of it? And I think that that's part of the thing about the entire system at play is it's like nothing can be of its own value. It must immediately be like, well, yeah. how is this paying you? How is this housing you? How is yeah. this? How are you commodifying this? If you tell somebody you love doing something, like I remember one time I had a conversation with somebody, and it's like, well, art is my life's work. I do art. I'm an artist. That's not what's paying your bills. That's not what you do. Who told you that? Who taught you that? 
So I think a lot of times yeah. that, that, oh, that yeah, thing will sure. threaten your mind. And then you'll be like, so let's say you are somebody on Twitter who's good at tweeting. There are people who are naturally good at tweeting. They write tweets that are, and, and yeah. so then they, they pour into it. They, and I am then, not, I am not one of those people. I'm not, that's what I'm that's saying. Not, I'm not for short I'm not form, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. So I'm saying I respect it. It exists. Mm -mm. These same yeah. people now, it's like, that is not its own reward. Oh, you're just on there tweeting. You're not making no money tweeting. Blah, blah, blah. You're not doing, and, it's like, and so now you have tweeters or twitterers or X, Xers or zitters, whatever, whatever the fuck they are now. <laughs> and, 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 and it's like now this joyful thing is a cause of consultation and, and concern and, and failure and all this other thing. And that's the nature of social media. Social media was this joyful thing. Like nobody was talking about how do I monetize my MySpace friend list? You know, nobody was talking about that. No, and then, I was just trying to figure out how to get my Black Planet page, my Black Planet page to have music play in the background and make my wallpaper move. Like those were the things that and make some I friends. I mean, in. I made friends. You know, yeah, you met people, community. Yeah. You met friends. You, yeah. you can't make you met, friends. And it no wasn't more. about this this concept, this word followers. Like, yeah, that changed I things. Huh? Really, friends to followers. Huh? Friends I'm, to followers. That's interesting. Mm, huh? That's I, interesting. Followers sits in a really. I don't like the where the place that that sits in my throat it, there's some gunk on it in like followers everybody has followers i don't know everybody. but like don't nobody who are you leading what are you who are you leading like it's followers in my brain immediately goes to leadership right and so and even then maybe not leadership as a behavior but leadership as like a cult um obsession mm -hmm. or like manipulation comes in into like where my brain plays word association i'm kind of like i can't think of a place where being considered among the followers has not been problematized in in society well, like i think you get out know. of that you get influencers the from followers you get influencers and influencers oh, speaks to the right. cult okay the cult the cultish element of that mm. like I you that are still feels my followers, gross. therefore I influence you. And and, and to, to do be what? To to buy to buy, to buy the satin pajamas yeah. and the ring light. That's what that's it, it is. That's it. That's it. Because if you use that uh. for actual social movements, the overlords would shut it down. So it's not this pot potential of grassroots work. You still gotta take it offline in terms of like, I think that there's a two prong thing here is it's like, you got to see what it is, which is to say, this is the landscape. It's pay to play. It's all this other stuff, but you go into it with the mindset of this is how I'm going to use it to do this, but it can't exist solely on there. It's like, it's gotta be used as a mechanism to take people to, f to form and build community. And I think that, yeah, because I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, it's I'm, difficult I'm to do that. that. I was I'm just gonna... saying it's very difficult to do that without pouring into social media and not exactly expecting immediate returns. So it's like with the, the, if you have say some grassroots movement you're trying to do, you utilize social media, but social media is not mm -hmm. actually going to glean any rewards beyond how you convert 
anybody who seems interested. The conversion process still needs to occur. So like if you were trying to do something political or you were trying to do something artistic or you're trying to do something, it's like, you gotta take it offline. If you don't take it offline, it's gonna die in the ether. Yeah. You gotta take it yeah. offline. I get that. I, I feel that. Um, and I, I guess that's, you know, that was my lesson too. Um, it's really like, who are you in real life though? Like, I, I, I think when I look at the people who are a part of my real life, like my real friends, people who, you know, mm -hmm. I've for a long time on, for all of my years on social media, since Facebook, I've always been this type of person. I'm never going back and forth with you on the internet, mm -hmm. especially if you have my phone number, which has mm -hmm. been the same for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't, th that's just the type of human I am. Like I, cause this is not real. I, I'm not about to do battle with you back and forth on a Facebook post about anything that you can call me on the phone and say to my face. I'm not, that's, that's not my, is that my, elder millennial energy? I, is that, is that, is that that's part elder of our millennial vibes? Yeah. I think so. It must be because yeah. the way these babies now yeah. be like, let That's me tell you, she posted yeah. pictures of the homegirl. She's wearing my hoodie. This, but let me show you pictures. This is, and I'm like, now you was with the girl through all those. Like, <laughs> I, know what you're talking about you. I know what you're talking about. Girl, too. I cut her off. Like, I stopped I mean, talking to her and I made a post about her. And then the girl's like, oh, that post like, is about me. And the girl said, yo, I was hitting you up mad times. Why could we talk about this? But at the same time, I think what's really interesting, too, is that it's, it's a like. It's tale as old as time. It's a tale as old as time. But I think what's really interesting about that situation, it's just funny you brought that up because I've seen that, too. I don't even know that, that that I don't. I'm not speaking about a specific situation. I'm just. And the fact that you have a specific situation that you're thinking you of, the, I'm yeah. like, there are millions of them oh, i'm thinking about a like, specific one last week that i see no that's funny I, yeah i don't oh the girl there was one i heard about on the read on another podcast about a girl whose boyfriend she had her homegirl's boyfriend's hoodie and was right. posting pictures that's in what it I thought you're talking about. Yeah, whatever that's what but then about. there yeah. was another girl who like took her friend's telfar bag to wear to the ask her if she could wear her telfar bag to the beyonce show and then didn't take didn't bring it back or like um, my baby daddy, like, I, I don't know. There's just so many examples of people who are having like very private conversations in public. And I think it's kind of like the days of Jerry Springer when people like, or Maury Povich, where people just take people out in public to put their business in the street for a check or for some attention or for jokes. I don't know. I just, well, that's not, that's like not the kind of human I am. Jerry Springer staged a lot of times, and I think a lot of times those in, uh, interactions and engagements are staged as well for the mere engagement. Yeah, all so the it's court like, TV shows. Yeah, so I think a lot of times when we talk about these things that might seem organic, that's another thing is you're looking at stuff and you're like, is this even real? Did they stage this? Is this two friends planning this for the mere purpose because they know? Because, because what we know is that this, these things thrive off negativity. We know that yeah. everybody wants negativity. And because even when you talk about like inspiration porn, inspiration porn is perverse negativity. It's 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 something really terrible coded and disney fied, but it's the same thing. So it's like 
if you know that this machine feeds off negativity, you, your brain is going to start to think about how can I create negativity for the engagement, yeah. for the reward. And now if they're offering monetization, so, but it's, it's interesting how this affects people politically, because I think when you start to talk about something like black liberation, or when you get to start to talking about these political issues, is it's like, also those conversations Which is really at the bottom. There. Yeah, but the black liberation conversation is literally at the bottom of the barrel, waiting to be like gobbled up by, you know, trolls um in the in the sphere in the the stratosphere of social media engagement i really do I unless you unless it's have... trailing unless it's trailing black death you ain't gone right we, we, no, we're I'm not saying. talking about it there are people who have then people taken are doing the that right thing. now yeah making it evil in the whole like conversation black about Revolution and what's making happening it evil. with gaza yeah like even i'm noticing this in the in the current situation in the genocide in Gaza, um, the converse, there's still, uh, there's still this, this energy of anti-blackness that is like moving just beneath the surface of the conversation as it relates oh, to yeah. the IPOX in the BIPOC. There is anti-blackness that is seething right beneath the surface. And because we don't have a recent body or black death to hold up from the black American experience, which has been kind of distilled into police violence um, as the, that's the thing that, that we learned to go up for in 2020, right? Most recently via social media, mm. when that's not happening, don't nobody really want to hear nobody talking about black liberation right now. I mean, and, and I think the anti-blackness is present in the conversation about Congo the anti-blackness and colorism um, are absolutely impacted by this assumption that, you know, black people are not indigenous um, to anywhere or that you, United States black folks are stateless. Um, it exacerbates this uh, concept of um, a, a, a beef or um, a disenfranchisement of U.S. black people from the continent of Africa because of uh, chattel slavery, right. like all of those are, are are literally just beneath the surface of all of this talk about liberation and decolonization that's happening in social media spaces right now, where it's almost like you can't say anything about it unless you're prepared to be called, and it, and it automatically goes to anti-Semitism, which is like there's cognitive dissonance happening, and I'm like, I don't, how did, when did I say that? And I say all that because I'm thinking about Juliana Margulies' comments ah, on that podcast. I was wondering if you was going to break that up. Ah, and that I made mean, me maybe mad. this is that this, this mad, ain't that bro. deep. No, it is that but deep. But I her. mean, you do you see do you see how like she had to extrapolate? She had to create violence. She had to create violence, black violence, by in her imagination, imagined. Black women being beheaded and having their heads kicked down the street like soccer balls. That's what she imagined because of what she knows about the extent of hatred that is present in herself and in Zionism at large, in anti-Blackness on a meta level. That is so deeply embedded in her that even in her hypothetical statement of trying to defend Zionists, 
she needed to like create black violence, severe vi- black violence against black women, and also lied on them, lied on the girls, and said that they um, said a thing that they did not say. They did not say what? no wait, wait, wait. They okay. said no Zionists. I can't. Okay, I'm. I'm. I'm I only know okay, what she you, said about black people in terms of why don't you stand with us? She was but, talking in specific. But there's more stuff yeah. you're telling me here. I'm not yeah. familiar with. Yeah. So, I'm. I'm gonna find Juliana because I am. Who, ma'am, girl, listen. And I am. I watched The Good Wife. I used to I rock know. with I Alicia know. Floric. Um, I really her? did. I character? used to rock with Alicia Florent. Was that her character? Yeah, and I mean, okay. yeah, and then she went on to say some more like anti-black, anti-feminist, anti-black womanist, and then like, okay, so um, there was a a college group of black black students that had a discussion or a conversation that they were holding on campus around the conversation of Palestine. They had okay. put a sign on the on their door or registration or whatever it was that said, um, no Zionists allowed. She took that to mean that they were being anti-Semitic and saying no Jews allowed. And on this podcast, she said, um, uh, she was on this episode of the back room with Andy Ostroy. I know that. I know that. Okay. I didn't know, I didn't know about this college thing. I didn't know that was the background that started so, her rant. She said that the, the, um, the Ken Burns documentary, the U S and the Holocaust should be mandatory watching, especially for the black community. Hard, hard, just way out of left field. We catching strays. <laughs> like, especially for the black community. Um, if I may, because Hitler got his entire playbook from the Jim Crow South. Margulies, star of Good Wife, goes on to say the Nazis were watching how the Jim Crow South were treating slaves and said, all right, so the Nazis <laughs> were watching how the Jim Crow South were treating slaves and said, oh, great, call, let's do that playbook. That's what we'll do to the Jews. Um, the Jim Crow South took place after World War II. But go off this, <laughs> um, which is also why in the civil rights movement, the Jews were the ones that walked side by side with the blacks to fight for their rights because they know. And now the black community isn't embracing us and saying we stand with you the way we you stood with us. So then she goes on to say about Jewish allies who died for the cause of civil rights. Um, but then she said, "Where's the history lesson in that? Who's teaching these kids?" Because the fact that the entire black community isn't standing with us to me says either they don't know or they've been brainwashed to hate Jews. This when, part I heard. This is. But when you've been marginalized so much as a community, the way I feel we have, isn't that when you step up? She added that this country would be in, in an uproar. She went on. She said a lot of shit. Um, okay, this country would be in an uproar if the bus drivers had walked out stranding about 900 area people from a destroyed area Jewish group who were trying to attend a march for Israel and Washington, D.C. last month. But because I it happened to the Jews, for some reason, it's laughable. She also mentioned a flyer for a screening of a black of black lesbian films on campus at Columbia University in October. A message shared with the flyer online read, Zionists aren't invited, not allowed. Zionists aren't invited. While doubling down on her messaging, the organizer of the event told the New York Post that it did not mean all Jewish people were dismissed, disinvited. So then she says, this is, this is, this is Uh that bullshit. 
And as someone who plays a lesbian journalist on the morning oh, show. Oh, yeah, that's I heard. That's I heard. I am more offended by it as a lesbian, but you are not a lesbian. Again, you <laughs> are not a lesbian. Okay. Oh, my God. Juliana. Oh, my. As, as, as an acting lesbian, as a performing <laughs> lesbian. Yo, as a thespian lesbian. Yo. <laughs> She said, I am more offended by it as a lesbian than I am as a Jew, to be honest with you, because I want to say to them, you fucking idiots, you don't exist. Like, this you're even you're even lower than the Jews. A, you're black, and B, you're gay, and you're turning your back against the people who support you, because Jews, they rally around everybody. Okay, so that, first of all, makes me want to vomit that I even repeated those words out loud to say them into a microphone. It makes me mad. It makes me so mad. It makes me so mad. I know. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm, it makes me mad and I want to cuss. I'm going to cuss and I'm trying to stop cussing. Why? Why? Oh, you are? Um, Why does it make me mad? First of all, because whiteness continues to misread and tell the truth of it, it it only uses it uses black bodies as leverage for arguments oh, yeah. Specifically, in anti-blackness. Yeah. So she her comments about you know you don't exist, A, you don't exist. That statement alone in and of itself is like that is the messaging of white supremacy ideology that's what that's what israel that's zionist language that israelis use to speak about palestinians there are no Mm -hmm. palestinians they don't exist that's zionist language first of all Mm -hmm. and zionist is inherently anti-black the Mm -hmm. the falsehood in her historical rhetoric around the playbook that nazi germany used was based off the eugenics movement and eugenicism had been something that was studied long before that in the early 1900s up until the 1930s. So the Mm -hmm. way that Nazis were positioned to continue to hold court in medical research, it was around disabled people. It was around um, poor people. It was around black and indigenous people. Like there were so many people who were part of the experiment of oppression and dehumanization that fed into the justification for Nazi Germany to say that Jews were subhuman. And as always, anti-Blackness was at the base of that. But that was something that happened. The the, the Ma'afa went back 400 years before old girl is even making a case for for Hitler and and the Holocaust. So it's like you got your facts backwards and and confused. The civil right, the Jim Crow South was not slavery. Jim Crow were the laws that were put in place post-Reconstruction era that were about segregation in the South. Was eugenicism still a part of that? Yeah, but that seed had been planted hundreds of years prior. That was the whole justification of the phrenology that said that Black people were subhuman. Like, Mm -hmm. But so, so you're wrong, A, you're wrong, but B, you're arrogant um, in your claiming that for black feminists to screen a, a movie and say, no Zionists allowed, no Zionists are invited. Like, why would they be? Why would you be invited? And you think that black people are not defending Jews? Like black Jewish people got access to their whiteness by protest, by following the playbook of the civil rights movement. Like 
Th yeah. They were leveraging their their uh, permissibility to engage in whiteness. That was something that was facilitated by Zionists who wanted to establish the kind of, um, uh, I guess, what would you call it, um, infrastructure or foundation to set up and, and prop up and uphold the entire Israeli state. So that was still happening. Well, they want a monocultural ethno state. Just, yes. Yeah. So the don't, monoculturalism. You, don't, don't blame, don't blame, don't blame black people. And the but fact that's, that but you, that's what play, I said, you bro. don't exist because you're black and you're gay. Like this is the same thing that we've been saying this whole time. And like, you really feel like you just proved a point because you pretended to eat Reese Witherspoon's box on fucking Apple TV that nobody watches. Girl, bye. Go sit down somewhere. That nobody asked you. That shit was wild. Nobody but asked also, you. But also, I think that at the same time, when Black. you talk about Zionists, they'll parade their Ethiopian Jews. They'll parade. Yeah. Now they're parading them. Now they're parading. We're not white. We're not white. Are yeah. they sterilized? Did you sterilize these people? Because another thing that I see like on Twitter is there's this prominent Black Ethiopian gay Jew who is a Zionist, who is just perpetually talking about I mean, it just, it almost to the point where it's like, is this a fake account? Is, is this man like, because, but interestingly enough, even in his thread, his thread or his tweets, which go viral, he has a lot of hardline Israelis saying, get out of our country. When he's on there doing the work uh, for them in a way is to, is to, to combat a lot of the narratives about them. But I think when you talk about somebody like Juliana Margulies, what it makes me think is, oh, this is, this is really the the opinion of all middle-aged white women on yeah, the subject i mean that's, she's speaking the for a large swath of people that's really how they feel and, yeah, and you're like i said israel I also did, but also israel said that. that israel said the number one i mean there was a big israeli conference i told you I, did i send you that video where they said the, the, the biggest threat to israel is young black people in america in terms of how we control the conversation how we control I, culture. Did I, did you what see that? I, no, but here's the thing. I, here's the thing that makes, uh, also makes me feel sick to my stomach is that I think when we look at, you know, June Jordan and, you know, Malcolm X and James Baldwin and Mark Lamont Hill and Amanda Seals and like just black people past, present, and those of us who are going to continue this fight into the future for black liberation have always told us to be wary of what is happening in Palestine. They've always guided yeah. us like our act the reason she's so wrong because our activism our revolutionary um our fight for humanity and liberation has always been bound up with Palestinians. And mm -hmm. so when with in, with Native American folks, with like with anybody who is suffering under this and like nobody gets free until the most marginalized among us are, you know what I mean? So like for her to take a shot all the way at the margin, way out of left field, leveraging the civil rights movement as if anti-Blackness isn't something that's baked into the cake of Zionism is... Is just like I don't know. It's, well, it's a special kind of. It's I think a special kind of. She said something grossness. fucked up. She said something really fucked up in comparing the two because black people in quote unquote Jim Crow South or whatever were not engaged in colonization. We're not engaged in the oppression of anybody. So mm -mm. for her to make a, a pair, a, some sort of comparison between black people who are under oppression to Zionists conducting oppression 
and asking why those of us who have experienced oppression don't side with those of us who are engaging in oppression, it speaks so incredibly loudly about her low esteem for the political consciousness of black people and also how little attention she's been paying. Because like you said, the anti-Israeli, not anti-Israeli, but the anti-Zionism, well, ostensibly also anti-formation of Israel entirely has been baked into black radicalism and baked into black political consciousness for so long that like, like for instance, my dad, when I was a child, my dad has always taught me about Israel. Since I was a kid, he, he was the one who taught me that he uses this, this analogy all the time. It'd be like if somebody moved into your house one day, they came to your door. Hey, we're taking the living room. Mm -hmm. What? Why? Because I used to live here 25 years ago. I want the living mm -hmm. room. And you're like, no. Yeah. Okay, you could have the living room. You wake up the next morning, they're in your bedroom, taking the mm -hmm. bedroom. Next morning, wake. my dad taught me this one. I was fucking seven years old. Yeah. Nine, 10, 11. Because I think at the end of the day, we identify so deeply with the condition of oppressed people throughout the world. That's where black people, and it's, it's, it's in our DNA. So like, you don't really, you can't really convince us to not only be blind to what our eyes are seeing, what our ears are saying, but also what our literal DNA is telling us. This is mm -hmm. triggering in such as a way to where we know this playbook. We have seen mm -hmm. this. So when she says, why don't you stand with us? Is it because this is the same shit y'all been doing and you're doing it to somebody else and we're not with that shit at all, at and all. Jewish people who stood in solidarity with black people were by Tend and to large oppose not, Zionism. Uh, yeah, not, Tend to oppose Zionism. not Zionists. Um, yeah. I just want to say while I'm out here quoting you know, she absolutely did claim that non-binary anti-Semites would be beheaded and have their heads used as footballs in Islamic countries as to prove a point that somehow we should be standing with Israel because they are fighting for our, uh, our, our right to exist because we would not be welcome in Islamic countries. Do I believe that there is anti-Blackness in Islamic in countries? Islamic countries? Absolutely. Um, but again, who is the oppressor? You know what I mean? Like who, who is the colonizer and who is the colonized? And it's not to, you know, it's like in the, in Afro-pessimism when Frank Wilderson's talking to his Palestinian friend who says that, you know, it's, it's awful to be, you know, oppressed worse. and subjugated, mm -hmm. but it's worse to be frisked by an Ethiopian Jew than it is by uh, a white Israeli Jew. And or an Israeli Jew, I won't even say white because, you know, that's whatever, unnecessary. And it's kind of like, yeah, anti-blackness is anti-blackness is anti-black is anti-black. But don't nobody well, want to talk about that. You know what I mean? Like well, nobody wants to hear that. And I'm not saying that in a, in a way that like, I don't, I'm not here to play the oppression Olympics. I'm not, I, but I have to name, like you said, the trigger that is cellular for me, for you cellular. On, a, yeah. on a cellular level of like, generations upon generations of this like if palestinians have been experiencing this for 75 years black folks living in the united states of america have been experiencing it for 400 500 years the continent of africa in and of itself has been being incessantly colonized and extracted from stripped of its natural resources since the 1400s like you know the the native uh, indigenous folks who are native to this to northern america are like have 
experienced a near complete genocide. You know what I mean? So it's like we 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 are all of our liberation is bound up in the other. And until we realize that anti-blackness in the way that we've internalized it is is the thing that's eating the movement. I, I think that we're just we might still be spinning our wheels. Um, and I think that we are we do pose a threat to Israel. But <sighs> I think that young black voices in the movement being named as a potential threat is really dangerous because that also means that we become a target. And I think that I mean, when we start I gotta about, say something, listen bro. though, hold on. When we start thinking about what's coming down the pike in this next election and the way that youth are talking about like not voting and, 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 you know, not believing in the political system or whatever, when, you know, young black men are talking about the, the percentage of their, um, choices to vote to reelect to elect Donald Trump again for president, all those things that are happening, the way that it's like you, you have to have some foresight down the road into the future of what it is that we're envisioning and how this plays out. Because if they're upholding the genocide of Palestinians in Gaza by Israel and the United States is allied with them, if Israel names that young black voices are its next target, and we have white women like Juliana Margulies telling us that we don't exist in the news and getting and being able to just like, you know, submit an apology for it. I think we need to be very careful about how that attention could shift. And we, I don't think we can be any more targeted than we, I don't think we can be any more targeted than we already are. I genuinely believe that we are the focal point of every single institutional bias. Black people are the entire short of a full on dropping bombs on black neighborhoods. The only thing left is literal mass slaughter of black people. At this point, I, mean, I genuinely don't. And so if we're talking about the implementation of mass slaughter of black people within the next election cycle, I genuinely think that if we as black people are forced to ostracize ourselves from all political conversations due to the, any one party having anti-blackness, we would literally be extricated from all political conversations. I don't think that we should society. do that either. I'm not, I don't, exactly. I don't suggest exactly. that we should do that. And I don't want to see black youth go down that road of extricating ourselves from political conversations in the name of, you know, reversing anti-blackness or black liberation. I don't think that now is the time to do that. I think that it movement takes patience. It takes strategy. It takes a, a very clear approach. I think that everything, you know, I don't know. I don't want to make it. I'm saying like with everything, the Israeli but. thing going on is it's like the end of the day, Black people dictate and dominate all of these conversations regardless. When you talk about the vernacular, the national vernacular, the national conversations, the political temperature of this country, it is dominated by Black people. And I think that's what they're referring to. They're referring to the notion if, if Black people say something is not good, the world collectively will agree while simultaneously continuing to dehumanize and devalue said opinions of Black people. It's the same extractive force. So what we're talking yeah. about a lot of times is like when somebody says, oh, we're the potential target or, or, or Black people, they're we are in every single political conversation, black people set the thermometer because at the end of the day, politics is literally about the usurping of resources from black people. To me, the definition of politics is how do we distribute resources? And so all of politics throughout the world, throughout the globe is about the taking and deprivation of resources from black people globally. And I genuinely believe that it, Though it could be worse, 
it would only could only be worse in a way that they would never do because they cannot eliminate us. Like at the end of the day, they they need to maintain us as a perpetual and permanent source of extraction. So there's mm-hmm. also this incubation. There's also this this form of protectorate that goes around black people. So far as that they can take from us and maintain us. So it's like America's mm-hmm. relationship with blackness is not necessarily one of the same, like, you know, in Afro pessimism, they talk, it's not the same as anyone else because there's this extractive element that exists, a permanent extractive element. Yeah, like it so, needs us to, it needs us to be the batteries. It needs us to be needs the, us. You know, it right. needs us inside. Like we're, I mean, I, yeah, because the capitalism was built on us. Blackness. You know what I mean? That's, on blackness. That's what I mean. You know I don't think it could get worse. On the construction of race. I, I fear that it could though, because of how. And I, I think, Tell me how. Well, I think that maybe this is why this comment makes me so disgusted is because it like, if you tell a lie long enough, it starts to become a belief. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lie can become true. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now all that has to do with just like the level of conviction to the person who's sharing sharing the narrative in the story, right? I think that if I'm witnessing this and I see the example, I I don't know. There's something about if I see the example of like the continual dehumanization, violence against black bodies, the, you know, the, the devaluation of black life that has taken place historically. And I'm looking forward to like, well, what would it look like in, in the future? Like when, when does liberation start to really hit on a way that we see and feel like this culture shift um, in a way that we get to a place where, you know, black people can walk down the street unfettered and unbothered and things like that. I feel like the mass slaughter and further dehumanization in a contemporary way toward black people is coming. I feel like this is all kind of a litmus test of getting there. Like the the mind, the the images of the like the prison industrial complex, state violence from police. We had the crack epidemic. Like there's always something to survive in the gauntlet. There's like it's like the Hunger Games, but being black, where it's mm-hmm. like how do you continue to survive this? And I think it's an issue of like capacity, um, organization, finding community how to stay connected to people, um, learning how how to live and exist outside of capitalism, which is not a skip. I mean, there's been some generational interruption in our ability to do that, like homesteading, um, the conversation about land back being one that really doesn't account for where Black Americans go and where do we have land. I think that, um, you know, there's... I I would not be surprised if there were not a larger ploy to to drop bombs on black communities look at cop city in atlanta like i think it's happening already well i mean that's i a mean we had the move we had the move movement in philly they did they have done it they black wall street they have dropped bombs and torched black communities well what, then what i, what I hear you saying is that history. it's a return to perhaps more overt black subjugation as opposed to this yeah sort of fictional Black freedom is like an, a, yeah. an overt return to 
de-ratify the Emancipation Proclamation. Something like yeah. that. I mean, well, you already had Jim voting, Crow. The Voting Rights Act has been gutted. What was it? Um, the yeah, affirmative the action. Affirmative action, voting rights, reproductive justice, and a women's right to choose. Like you got white boys out here cracking jokes, talking about, um, you know, what are black women going to do with all their babies without Roe, Roe v. Wade? Well, I'll buy them. Like this, these are these are the things that are already happening. So yeah. when you have a Juliana Margulies, when mm-hmm. Alicia Flora get on the podcast with her white boy, and as soon as somebody mentioned the Holocaust, first thing out of her mouth is, <laughs> you don't exist. Black well, women, lesbians, you don't exist. And I'm offended as a white woman who pretended to be a lesbian that you would be so inclined as to disinvite Zionists from, you should want the Zionists to be there. When I also, I watched a video clip of this dude some band was playing at a show, a rally in Israel, and he was doing his like, you know, crowd hyping thing. And they were, they had translated the, the, oh Lord. Um, yeah, you got to be kidding me right now. I don't know. <laughs> it was an accident. You got to be happened. kidding me. It's, just, it's just, you know, whatever. But I just hope everybody's okay. Um, when they had a, like a, you know, I guess, hype man or whatever i couldn't tell if he was rapping or singing or just yelling a message into the microphone but they translated it and he was referring to palestinians and said called palestinians the um the children of the of the black mother whore um you're yeah yeah like why how did we catch a stray we ain't even got to be in the room you know what i mean that to be it like anti-blackness is baked in you can't tell me that it's not because you don't get to live in the world in in this melanated skin and not know what it looks like it requires a certain um this is part of the survival it's, it's this the safety and security is is- to learn how to engage in a way that you come out of it without having you know without being and the fact that you want us to I don't know. You want us to believe that Hamas and Palestinians are beheading babies and would therefore behead non-binary black people um, and use our heads as footballs. And you're doing that in an effort to what? Like, what is the intention behind that? You want to encourage me to support you when this is like, I'm, I'm suspicious of the person who wants to make that claim and use that as a way to garner my support for their mission to continue to murder someone who looks more like me than I look like the person who's trying to garner my support. You know what I mean? Like, especially when you're leveraging and using some falsehoods, false equivalencies about my history and the, the, the lives and existence of my ancestors and how I got here as part of your argument it makes me more suspicious and more clear that oh no you are you are the devil in this in this here situation like you are the person that i cannot trust like i'm just using my critical thinking skills here and it it ain't adding up juliana i i don't i ain't got it for you i feel like you that was you did your big one and it flopped i don't know 
no, no, girl, you're gonna have to go sit down someplace with your anti-blackness and your um and you being mad that you had to pretend to eat box on the morning show for that check that you needed, um, that you definitely got. Like you sit here in your privilege and your whiteness and like shame on you for I, I feel like they should have some shame around the way that they dishonor the the legacy and lives of their own ancestors who were lost in the Holocaust. I think that the the way that 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 Zionists throw around the Holocaust to make these empty claims about anti-Semitism is like mad disrespectful to their ancestry and the legitimate history of what it was. And to assume that Black people don't know about the Holocaust, that we need to be educated about it is really egregious because what? We've been watching white people mass murder other people who are different than them since time. Nobody is confused about, no black people are confused about the Holocaust. We get it. We are also like, we went through our own kind of Holocaust. Could we maybe get some resources, benefits? Could you get your foot off our neck now? Like we have never not, I just, I'm sorry. I'm not making good points right now, but I'm exhausted by racism. Um, (laughs) Can I insert insert myself? So with decolonization, I think one of the things about decolonization is that when you colonize a people, you no longer consider their concerns about anything ever. So for instance, we can talk about a Holocaust, which is 6 million slaughtered Jews, but we can't talk about the Congo, which is 12 million slaughtered Africans. And so I think that there's this real serious issue with the notion that black people are collateral damage that we accept. But furthermore, I think the, the, the bigger point here is that like, they know our power more than we know our power. And this is something that we really have to talk about as black people, because I do believe the solution to Afro-pessimism, the solution is literally black autonomy and it's it's hyper-political awareness. And I think that mm-hmm. when you talk about black people organizing and collecting and having conversations, it's not gonna happen in a way that's like mass hysteria or like Black Lives Matter. It's gonna be small pockets of people who really take upon themselves to not only politicize themselves, but politicize everybody around them all the time in these perpetual conversations. But there has to be a semblance of a black agenda. There has to be black political points. And I think it's very difficult in a colonized world for black people to assert autonomy en masse. So when you have people like Juliana Margulies or whatever is talking about black people like they don't exist, you don't exist, or you're, you're fodder, you're all this other stuff. This is the narrative that invariably tells me that even when we aren't worried about ourselves they are worried about us they are yeah. so we are this potential of political power that exists here 13% of the population in the united states that i genuinely believe can change the world but it, it comes from a hyper politicization but also it comes from organization almost like in secret if if there's it, it's like I don't, I, I'm increasingly starting to have this, this, this sense that multiculturalism is another tactic through which you suppress black autonomy. Because For the, sure. The, the BIPOC thing, all this other stuff. So it's like, the only way that somebody like Juliana Margulies is not going to talk about us like that is if they see there is consequence. Like, for instance, she already apologized, right? But yeah, that was. I don't. I don't lie. believe that she's sorry, and I also don't think that there is this. There is a respect of black potential. 
but not black kinetic energy. And so there needs to be this deep. And, and another thing about Twitter and all that other shit is that you have what you'll have is like the Twitterfication of black liberation is FDA, FBA. The Twitterfication of black liberation is ADOS. So when you mm. have this Twitterfication of these black liberation ideas, a lot of times I also look at that as these tactics through which to maintain and suppress genuine black liberation. Because if you really get to talking about what these people are doing a lot of times is there, I heard this interesting term, a panacea, which is a solution mm -hmm. for all, a cure-all, right? Yeah. So this cure-all is reparations. This cure-all is this, this cure And none of that is, the, to me, the only cure-all is black liberation and black liberation is not a, it's not a singular pill. It's this thing. But when you talk about like the individual relationship with black liberation, it's, it's like the decolonization of one's mind the reparations of one's mind as black people through the education, through the reading, through the books. But it's like, if you are somebody who has gone through that process, you go about spreading it, but only with like minds, because I definitely think that a lot of times you have a lot of black people who are so alienated from politics that they cannot help but be utilized as an instrument of further black subjugation because they have no fucking idea what's going on. And so I really think that the only inverse to that is the, the best thing I can think of is the Black Panther Party. And the way that the Black Panther Party for a period of time had, which makes you wonder a lot of times that the conditions surrounding aren't even possible for that. It, like that was something that they desperately wanted to not happen. And any institution power, inst institutional power has since suppressed that potential. Is that true? Or are Black people still cap capable of organizing in the way the Black Panther Party was? Is that past? Is, are we still capable of doing that or not? That's because I think that's the solution for Juliana Margulies. That's the solution, solution for Zionists playing with us. That's the solution for us being cannon fodder in every political debate, even if we got no involvement, because there yeah. is no organized, mechanized arm of black politicization because it's not like the weaponization oh militarizing and all that that's later the intellectual endeavor the intellectual insulation of black people politically an organized arm a hammer if you will doesn't really what is it NAACP like come on it doesn't exist well yeah the NAACP has been problematic for a long time right but, they're, they're co-opted so I mean but yeah so I, I think that's a huge question and i think what came up for me in listening to that is like you know everybody wants to have followers don't nobody want to be a leader mm -hmm. um and leadership is a behavior it's a yeah it's not a you got to embody a title it. yeah it's yeah. not a title and so i believe that the first way that we embody it when you embody leadership is to be self-led Yes. And to really be able to disaggregate the the information and get to a place where you are like a, aware to an extent, not of like the rugged individualism of like, you know, no the modern capitalist thing, but like to really be aware of self as um as a as a link in a chain, as an yes. as an as a bead in this necklace, right? as a singular one to be the but best you, are you missing, can yeah because if you fall out of line the whole necklace breaks 
Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that self leadership is where I feel we have to come back to because like the, the black Panther party, you I was watched this thing on um, YouTube where um, the sister was breaking down reports of um, abuse and, um, and, you know, discrimination or massage noir patriarchal abuse inside black social justice movements throughout history. And Mm -hmm. in like a list of, I don't know, there were like, I had somewhere in my many notes from the past three weeks of research, but she breaks down this list of like from the black Panthers to um, I'm going to, it's everybody, basically all the uncles and aunties in them (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, were, you know, where women have said like they were victims of sexual abuse, gender abuse, discrimination, you know, flat out domestic violence and all these things that were happening inside these movements and organizations. Right. Well, I, hold on. I'd heard black Panther party was actually much better about misogynoir. Is that not true? Uh, much better about misogynoir. I'm like they were sure. the first when they were like, my understanding is they were like the first with like black women leadership and the black, you know what I mean? So many. So there's never not parody. been a time that black women were in leadership roles or were basically the, the glue that held together every single movement that has ever happened from black lives matter to but, civil rights movement. The black but Panther you see party. what I mean in terms I, of men ostracizing women, like in terms of so many different times there was a misogyny involved in civil rights movements that I thought did I was understood was less prevalent if not and this may not be true eradicated in the Black Panther Party. I don't know that there was ever a time that was it was eradicated. Um Yeah, definitely not. But nearly so, less prevalent. I don't know. Superior mm, than these know. other civil rights. I think movement. that the Black Panthers had had language for the the protocol by which to treat black women, to treat mm-hmm. women and children inside the party, but I don't feel comfortable speaking any more than that. This example was actual case studies, people who have had statements, made claims, written books, talked about um their personal experiences with massage noir and violence, both sexual and physical, inside black movement spaces. Mm-hmm. That is a that is real. That exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I think about how we get free and to go back to like self-leadership, the healing that must take place on an individual soul level as it relates to your role as a bead in the necklace, as a link in the chain for the movement, for the collective liberation of Black people is the work that most people are unwilling to do, simply unwilling to do it Mm -hmm. because of the level of transformation that it requires and the commitment and dedication to accountability, to be self-led in your work, to be motivated by love, to accept yourself and all of the parts of you that you have been, to embrace a new becoming and new possibilities and, and a sense of hope for, for yourself as it relates to your work, like for you to be the best and shiniest bead you can be. I just, I see people being generally unwilling to do that level of work. And until that happens, 
I think our progress will be somewhat mitigated, interrupted, maybe regulated by our our capacity. Like you can only heal to the extent that you have healed. So mm -hmm. there will be a limit that you will butt up against in your own comfort in what kind of progress we are making in the movement. So like if we say we need black spaces, but you have internalized anti-blackness and self-loathing issues. And so you have your internalized misogyny or colorism um, is showing up. You are not that that is being triggered in group spaces at the group meeting. Now you got beef with the light skinned dude who, who is eager to do the work. Now you're projecting your um, insecurities and internalized, um, you know, homophobia against the, the queer relative. Now nobody wants to fuck with DeRay McKesson no more because we're mad because he has on a blue vest all the time. And we are bought into our capitalism that we got to be dripped down everywhere we go. Like this is, that's, that's the shit. People being their, their feelings. Um, mm -hmm. Mickey Kendall said at the Black Feminist Futures Conference, they asked her what is in the way of Black liberation um, and, and the future for Black feminism. And she said, feelings. People's hmm. inability to access their emotional intelligence, to really tap into how your emotions, your feelings have you in the are in the way of you actually achieving the goal that you wish to see. So I feel like us having... Um, critical mass for movement has to take place on, the, we have to realize that that means that we're going to have to change everything. We don't get to pick and choose what we keep. It's like a total transformation of systems that are, that once maybe they did work up until a point, but if it ain't working no more, it gotta go. And you really need to be able to get yourself well enough. Like Tony K. Bambara, like, are you sure sweetheart that you want to be well? Because hmm. wholeness is no trifling matter. It's hmm. a whole lot of work to be well. It is work to be well. Mm -hmm. And the community, you can't sit back and fire shots at what's wrong with the Black community if you're not willing to do the work for yourself to figure out what is wrong with you. Because you are a part of the Black community. So what is sick in the community may also be sick in you. And so how do you, how do you heal yourself from the poison and get it out so that you can take the medicine back? How do you identify yourself as being per as a person who the, the magic is in you? You are the miracle. You are the magic. You are the medicine. And so once you understand that as true for yourself, you can start to hand that out and tell other people like, oh, you, you got the magic. You got the glow. You know well, what I, I mean? We like we talked about that you. initially. When we were initially talking before we even started doing the podcast, we talked about our own organization, how much fundamentally this coaching aspect or the mental health is such a primary tenet of whatever group we would build. And that's what I was talking about with cohorts in terms of like, you can only really build with like-minded people, but it's also, you can only really build with, with, I guess, similarly healthy people in terms of that component about like weeding out potentially people who are not valuable contributors is their politics. Are they misaligned? Are they still homophobic, transphobic, um, you know, misogynistic, misandrist or whatever. And then also like, have you taken care of yourself? What, 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 what traumas lurk beneath? Have you addressed your trauma? Like 
that is actually quite valid in a political organization is to know that's 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 rooted in secularism that's that's it's it's a necessity for people to have to be engaged in mental health work on themselves to be any meaningful contributor to a political movement because i think that that's one of the things we were saying initially yeah is that I'm if not, you're not I'm willing not gonna to do fight that, you I'm not yeah. going to fight you for your healing. I'm not going I'm not going to fight you for your healing. I'm not going to um admonish you or shame you into your growth. I think that you can only transformation happens at the speed of trust. A lot of folks live in a, in such a way that it is not possible or feasible feasible for them to even identify themselves as being trustworthy. Um you know, Grace Lee Boggs said, if you trust the people, then the people are trustworthy. And so you have folks who have never been trusted and who are constantly being bombarded with all of this negative, you know, um, projection that they are inherently unworthy, inherently invaluable, uh, invisible. They do not exist. They do not matter. They're never going to get out from the mud. They ain't never going to be shit because your daddy wasn't shit. Like all of these messages that are, you know, that doesn't, that's just not true. You know what I mean? Inherently, is that the truth? And if it is, how is this truth making you feel? And what would it mean for you to establish a new belief, to have a new truth, to write a new story about yourself? Like that's the work of emancipation. Liberation is in that. You have to reclaim the sovereignty of your body. You have to rewrite the narrative that you have begun to believe and then even to retell about yourself. Like that's the work. I think a lot of times liberation groups are small, like-minded groups of people who are willing to do that. I don't think there are a lot of times of mass movements because I think mass movements happen after that small cohort of people get to organizing and doing some actions and doing some stuff. And this stuff starts to snowball and it just becomes yes or no questions for the rest of the people. But I think that's sort of one of the things that in the future, if there is going to be this coalesced black movement, that has to be a primary function. It's like, first off, they, we got to agree on intersectionality. Second off, we got to agree on mental health. And, and I think, you know, more than that, we got to agree on the fact that like you doing the work on yourself when no one is around to make sure you're not bringing this bullshit to these meetings and these groups. Because I think when you have what we talk about, like a lot of times is unhealed people trying to heal the world and like you said it's a, it's perpetual but first that work must be done in terms of like i don't necessarily want to build with somebody who don't go to therapy i don't you know what i mean i really don't i mean i i get that and also like i i i feel like even there there's judgment in that like there's 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 judgment in that that feels like it's not self energy because I understand that therapy is built on a an anti black you know problematic you know white model of psychology that you like know Freud and shit is, yeah Freud. like it's an inherently anti black you know what I mean like I'm curious about how people reach certain levels of emotional intelligence whether or not that be through therapy, through spirituality, through self-study, through reflection, through meditation, maybe one or all of those things. Do, I don't like I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who has not had some form of work or system to which they maintain their mental, spiritual and physical hygiene. 
I think that that's yeah. what I'll say. I, I can't really yeah. say that you don't get to be a part. Like, I don't really, the absolutism of it, of like, yes or no, is it this but or here's is it my that? Thing about that, that feels like a it's lot like, of work. It's a lot of work. Like the psychotherapy thing and all this other stuff is it's like, are you talking to somebody about your problems? Like, to me, that's the entirety of therapy. And, and truthfully, it's like, I don't expect my therapist to heal me. I expect my, the safe place where I go talk about the stuff that's going on in me mm-hmm. that I got to deal with. And if somebody's not doing that, I really doubt their ability to be a meaningful contributor. And that's what I, the entirety of my belief on therapy is like, if you're not going not to talk to somebody. Not everybody has access to that though. And I think that people who don't have access to that can be meaningful contributors to some degree. And I think that when we heal. To some degree, to some degree. Like uh, to the degree that they are capable. You know what I mean? To the degree that they that's have what, the capacity so that's what we're to talking do about that. it. We're talking about capacity. And it might be, we're talking about increasing might, said capacity. Right. And what I'm saying is that like, when you increase your your individual vibration everything gets brighter you know what i mean so mm-hmm. i think that the work of these small clusters of community individual shadow work soul healing retrieval religiosity whatever it is that is that has you out here being a new shiny version of yourself um that does more to lift to elevate the the frequency of the people around you than I think is visible with just our judgmental eye. I think on a on a spiritual and energetic level, when you heal you, you know, indigenous people say it's it heals seven generations before and behind you. When you do your work, you resolve a lot of the trauma because you're not carrying it and perpetuating it. And it unburdens a lot of the ancestral trauma that we carry. It is important. So the impact of doing your individual work, I think begins to allow you to attract more people who are aligned with that frequency and folks who are not will fall away. There will always be Mm -hmm. people who like, who, who vibrate at a certain resonancy or frequency. And I think that there's a necessity for them in the world. Look, there's a necessity for some goons in the world. There's been some times where I done been like, I really wish I had a goon right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, or whatever. Sure, so sure. like, th- there's, you know, no mud, no lotus. A use for unhealed I mean, people. Is that what you were saying? Utility, <laughs> utilitarian value? And not even utilitarian value. I think inherent value just based off your humanity. Inherent value. Like there yeah. is value. In value. Your, there is an yeah. inherent value in your existence, no matter who you are. What I you agree. choose to I do agree. with that, how you choose to show up in the world and what you choose to do with it is your business and not mine. And I think where we get, we get so dead set that we're going to anticipate the way that our ego drives us to really function off like the way that we're being perceived. Um, and we start to contort and condition ourselves to these kinds of like identities or appearances that will, that, that are like anticipating a certain kind of perception that aligns with our idea of who we think we are, what our identity is saying. That's a lot of psychic energy that's being sent out into the the stratosphere where you're trying to anticipate the opinions and and thoughts of an innumerable amount of other people who are also living their own individual experiences in this world. That's ego. This very like egoic existence. As well, I'll work. adjust. Then I'll adjust. I don't. When I say build and organize and work, 
there's obviously roles and places for people who are not as willing to do as much of that work themselves as others. But I would say at the highest levels of abstraction, of conceptualization, of ideas, of ideas, I am most interested in those who are A, willing to do the intellectual labor of research and reading. And I'm most interested in those who are willing to do the intellectual work or the spiritual or whatever, physical, emotional, mental work of, of healing on themselves and like, and, and, and take that upon themselves with the same vigor that they would approach the work of black liberation. I think that that's, I think that's part of decolonization in a lot of ways is like taking at, taking out a lot of the mental presuppositions and forming your own through the labor of intellectual exploration and through the labor of emotional, mental maintenance, not even healing, maintenance. I think a lot of times it's like, you could be good one week and not be good the next week. And, and how does that look? When I say therapy- It's fine. I mean, I like with that my that's... therapy, I pay, I, pay, I pay a small amount, but I feel like we're living in a world that is increasingly making that more available. For, I, I have a hard time believing that if you desperately wanted therapy, you just could not find it. You know, I feel well, like there is, it's available. I think that I there mean, are I'm a lot just of other, I think that there are a lot of social determinants that prohibit people from accessing therapy in the ways that we, I also support and advocate for mental health. I think that it's important. Of course you do, yeah. I, I love my therapist down. I keep a therapist. I prefer to work with Black women uh, in therapy. Same. That has been better for me. Um, I've never had a Black man therapist, um, but I've had two, I've seen two white women for therapy and that just wasn't my jam. It brought up some other shit that I was like, uh, but you know, every time has its purpose, right? So like I am, but that is a privilege. I was always able to access therapy through health benefits and insurance um, and was always employed to such a degree that I was able to hand, handle co-pays. Um, I am well-resourced in my ability to find a piss demographically fit my need and desire. I, my level of education had to do with my, my knowing um, and curiosity about even exploring therapy as an option for me socially where I was and the the people I was being socialized with were also people who had who could advocate for their relationships with therapy for me so I I didn't just like wake up one day and be like you know what I'm gonna go get a therapist tomorrow people that's not how it works for people you know what I mean there's a lot of folks who don't no, have I mean I, I I paid for therapy for Medicaid I used I I had therapy for free three years with Medicaid thanks Obama you know, I was like I need a therapist I went to the thanks state. Obama yeah I mean but that was I mean, I I guess I suppose so. I, I think that uh, I chose to be on Medicaid. I mean, I wasn't for it, but like, I would say that I was like, I need a therapist. How do I get a therapist? And I just went down this rabbit hole. Well, you know? and, and it I'm... worked. And it was it was tremendously valuable. It was tremendously valuable. It fixed it. It solved a lot of shit for me. Therapy primarily. I'm curious about talking to people who. Do and I was poor. Who are averse to therapy? Because I think we're we're kind of cut like, out for a second. What did you say? I said I'm I'm curious. It cut out for a second. What Can you, you hear me now? I'm curious yeah, yeah. about mm -hmm. having conversations with people who are averse to therapy. People who 
have reasons yeah, why they, and there are people who feel people. like they have experienced too much trauma who don't who feel hopeless mm-hmm. and disenfranchised from their story and narrative people who have trust issues people who have you know severe issues as it relates to like their financial situations and have like a perception that it's it's cost restrictive um you know I've I talked to one brother one time who was like I feel like there are so many other people in the world who have it worse than me I don't deserve to take one of their spots by going and getting into therapy which I was like ooh mm, I'm not gonna date you ever do you believe that did no, you buy I that did no, you buy I didn't that, buy that. Sound... like are you kidding me I didn't buy it but I okay. also I mean okay. I took that as being like oh <laughs> well I'm a let you it's nice talking to you um. <laughs> Like you're not, we're not going to move forward in this um, romantically because there's a whole lot there and I can't be coaching people who I'm not coaching. You know what I mean? I needed to be, have my boundaries up in that state. But like, there's a lot of people who don't, now my dog is being wild. Stop it. Um, There's a lot of people who don't have, have the spoons to get the help Mm. of therapy. What I'm saying is that we can't judge, judgment and compassion can't exist in the same place at the same time. I have a great deal of compassion for the fact that some folks just ain't where you are right now. And I think that we do better by honoring where we are in our own journey and really being patient with the fruits that are, are ready for harvest in that before we move on to looking to expand. And again, I feel like leadership as a behavior, as opposed to a title, um, as opposed to influencing folks toward a particular outcome. I think influencers don't have a a relationship to accountability that is necessary in leadership. And the accountability is like, who are you accountable to? Are you accountable to your followers? Are you accountable to the brands that pay you? You know what I mean? Like in leadership. Which is a problem in leadership. It's a problem in in, in political leadership too. Are you you beholden to your constituents or are you beholden to the big money? You know, that's, that's the, that's the dichotomy of leadership. Yeah. Who are you accountable to? Like, who is your community? And, um, Mm -hmm. and would the community look to you and say, we can hold that person accountable, which is, I think where a lot of times politicians get jigged up in the game is because they don't listen to their constituents and allow constituents to make them accountable. And our, and I think as constituents, we have forgotten that it's our right to make demands of our leadership. Um, so I don't know that's, but see, this is where the episode goes into an extra half an hour and I'm not going to do that today. Cause it's, we're at one hour and 58 minutes right now. And I said, I think that's a good we time. We were going to stop yeah. 30 minutes ago, but then we started talking more about colonization and decolonization and just the, the jig is up. Here's the thing in closing. Um, I think, I think mm-hmm. it ain't that deep really got covered with the Juliana Margulies thing. Cause it is in fact that deep, like, I I feel like that's what it was. And what are we reading this week? Books, bitches, and energies. I feel like we kind of covered that throughout the episode. And I didn't read a lot of books this week. Um, Me either, bro. I I just did work with my my ass this week. So we'll be back um, in another couple of weeks with another episode. Um, Maybe a a little shorty. Well, that's what I was gonna say. We can we can. Two weeks from now, you're going to be out of town. Yeah. So, well, don't be telling the people my business uh, gonna, on the show. Don't, don't tell people my business on be out of town. Don't worry about it. They don't need to know our recording schedule. We'll we'll drop an episode. We got some things in the in the crate. We'll give you some treats um, and ease on out of 2023. But like, I'm really grateful for the conversation and for this experiment of having conversations about really complex issues, but just really grateful for the reminder to, you know, 
reel it in and not feel like I need to be an expert in order to have an opinion. Um, and cause this is all we're, we're figuring no. it out and we're not here to solve problems. We're really here to dream and imagine like what solutions could look like. And, um, I feel like today was good to kind of take a break from the heavy, um, heavy on the pontificating and more on the observation of how we are and what is happening. So that's what I got. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Maybe, maybe it'd be a little bit longer. I'm not sure. <laughs> ah, well, keep we'll checking see. back. Um, you know, I, I already mentioned, I don't necessarily want you in my inbox um, unless you want to say kind, kind things or, you know, <laughs> I don't, I'm just not, I don't want to be fodder for the, for the zitters, but we'll see how it goes. Um, let's go ahead and get out of here this sure. week and All right. we'll, we'll see y'all soon. All right. Take care yeah. of my Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Don't worry about a thing